you are the podcast master. If you listen to last week's episode of the podcast, you know I left you on a crazy cliffhanger, and I'm sorry, but it had to be done. I had to leave it at that very spot and let everything sink in from the first half of this conversation with Dustin. I had to do that because you need to think about the importance of everything that happened in the first 12 years of his life. To be able to triumph over the tragedy that happened in the first 12 years of a young man's life to become such an incredibly powerfully positive individual that he has become. If you didn't listen to the last episode, hit stop right now. Go back and listen to the previous episode of the podcast because you're going to need that to put into context everything that happens from this point forward. Keep in mind, just like the last episode, there's going to be some... um, Well, there's going to be some F-bombs. I'm just going to keep it real. There's going to be some language that you don't want the kids listening to. So listen to this on your own time, but make sure you can really dive into the conversation. Keep in mind, this is a continuation from last week's story, and it is the story of one of the most powerful human beings I know. I met him through TX Whiskey. He's a whiskey maker, and and that didn't even scratch the surface of what a powerful human being this guy is and I say all of this with a smile on my face because it reminds me and I hope this reminds you that no matter what your story no matter what your background no matter what cards you're dealt in life you can change the completely change the game just by keeping the right attitude and the right mentality listen it doesn't matter who you are or where you come from you can achieve so many great things in life and this conversation in its entirety, is a prime example of just that. I told you in the beginning of this podcast, you know, almost 100 episodes ago, I was going to bring on people that I'm a fan of. You might not recognize all of their names, and you might not completely be able to connect with all of their stories, but you can understand that no matter what, anyone can achieve great things. Dustin had all of the cards stacked against him in the first 12 years of his life. And he overcame all of those things to be who he is today. And again, I've got a big smile on my face because who he is today is just an absolutely amazing human being. I hope you enjoy the first half. I know you're going to enjoy the second half. So fasten your seatbelts and get ready for the continuation, part two of my conversation with the powerful Dustin Snow. You know, I'm just broken as a 12 year old, you know, I just defeated and, uh, but I didn't lose my interest in exercising and sports. Your outlet. Yeah. I didn't lose that. And that ended up becoming my saving grace. I made it all the way to a a senior in high school at Western Hills in West Fort Worth and nine 11 happened my senior year. And I was playing soccer. I was a really good goalie. And I and you know, you see how tall I am. Like, right. Like I was really I was a really good goalie and I played all four years in high school. And I wanted to go play college uh soccer as a goalie. And then nine eleven happened that year. And uh I was I was actually kind of down again. I had my first like real breakup with a girl that I really liked and and nine eleven happened. I want I want, I want to stop you there and yeah. I want to go back. I you strike me as an extremely competitive person. Yeah. Period. Like even take sports out of it. Like like the way you approach your job. Yeah. You want to get as much knowledge as you can because you want to be the best. I like, do you strike me as a person that 
competitive to the core. Yeah. Like you have to win. Yeah, and, okay. I, but I'm not. I'm also not like a. Uh, I'm not like a sore loser. Exactly. Or anything exactly. But, but you're going to push everything you can yeah. to be successful. I and I'm not jumping ahead here, but I have a feeling I know where this is about to turn. Yeah. And, and you being the competitor that you are, don't step on my toes because yeah. I'm going to come back. And I'd already gone. Like I'm 18 now. I, I've put six years of, of space in between the shit that happened with my mom and dad. Yeah. And I came out the other side of that. And Did I had you see your dad. In those yeah. Pictures? Yeah. Yeah. I, I went down to, uh, I, I went down to see him, um, when I could, um, how was that relationship? It sucks. It sucks, man. Yeah. Like, I don't know if you've ever had to go to a prison or a jail to visit anybody before, but it's exactly years. like what you would think it would be like. Yeah. It's like driving somewhere, getting a hotel room, way out in the middle of nowhere, waking up early in the morning so that way you can be there for visitation time, going through a million checkpoints, hearing like, you know, the, the, the steel doors clanking around and shit, going to a designated space at a designated table where like you're allowed X amount of seconds to like embrace each other whenever they finally come out. You know, it's just the worst. Yeah. So like I, I didn't go as often as I could. But then again, I really didn't feel bad about that because I fucking hated it. Right. I I just absolutely hated it. And my dad was always like, you know, a crying mess. And so was I. Surely he understood, though. For a while. And then, like, eventually, like, you're sitting there, like, eating Snickers bars and, like, opening a can of Coke. And, like, you buy a bag of chips and a guard has to come around and look inside your chips to make sure you're not passing them contraband. You know, it just sucks. But you did you did get to, like, set face to face, not with a glass between you. Yeah. You actually got to. Yeah. Yeah. Eventually. Eventually. The first year he was at Fort Worth uh, at the Tarrant County Jail, it was, like, telephone with glass and then once they move them to an actual prison you can you can have uh uh contact um so yeah so 9-11 happens my senior year um and that's whenever i got real pissed yeah and i think everybody collectively as a country got real pissed whenever that happened yep I was a senior in high school. I was getting my student aid pass made. I was a student aid for our baseball coach who also taught a health class. And I was grading papers. Mm-hmm. And I was, it's a very beginning, because remember September is the beginning of a, a school year. Uh, and I went to the library to get my student aid pass laminated. And I was in there and they had a little TV in there. First jet had already hit the mm-hmm. first tower. And um, that was before I think they thought it was a terrorist attack. Yep. That was like it could have been an error. It was like an accident. An accident yep. of some kind. And then the second one hit the second tower. And obviously those towers are that close together. So mm-hmm. then they're like, okay. Yep. This yeah. is planned. Yeah. And uh, so I joined the Marines uh, two months after that. Really? Two months after that. In December, I was in the delayed entry program. Um. I went and I took the ASVAB, which is like the aptitude test that you mm-hmm. have to take for any military service. And uh, this is kind of funny because I, I did really well. On Dude, the, I need a funny story. Holy uh, crap. I know. I, I did <laughs> I, I did really well. I told, I told you I was going to take you down a, a, a dark hole no, for a while. Had, but it's all part of the thing. Has anybody in your family been military no. before you? Oh, okay. No, no. My oldest brother, oldest brother uh, David, uh, did two tours in Vietnam. Okay. 
but I'm the uh, and then his son was uh, was a was a marine. So I'm the second marine in my family, third uh, military guy in my family. Okay. Um, so I go and I take the ASVAB and I did really good. And my recruiter was like, "All right, man, like you like you can you qualify? I qualified for every single job in the Marine Corps. That's awesome." And uh, he he's like, "What he's like? What do you want to do? Intelligence? You want to be a linguist? You want to be a helicopter mechanic?" I was like, "No, dude. I was like, I didn't join the Marine Corps because I wanted to sit behind a desk or learn some type of like like how to work." on a radar or something like that i was like but then again i don't want to be infantry either right i was like what's a nice medium and so we looked and we found combat support because you want to be in but you also want to be like yeah close enough well to, i didn't want to i didn't to want know. to have to walk everywhere for some reason i was like <laughs> <laughs> the guy that loves exercise needs it as an outlet yeah. doesn't want to walk everywhere well well yeah yeah i guess for whatever reason you know i'm 18 and uh and, and I was still developing, like I was a cardio machine, but like at eighteen, yeah, and your you body's see, not you see really, my like yeah. build, like I'm like thirty five pounds heavier than I was at eighteen, but at like at the same mm. height, you know, I was like this wire thin, yeah. yeah. And uh, so there was combat support, which comprised of four possible job fields. One of them was M one A one Abrams tanks, which I wanted. Yeah, I wanted to be in those things. Those things are fucking badass. <laughs> You know those things have turbine engines? Every like, every little kid wants to drive a tank, yeah, right? Yeah. Yeah. But they don't have like diesel engines. They have turbine engines. Really? Yeah, they really do. And it's another weird fact. A turbine engine fuel smells like vomit whenever it's uh, burned. What? Just so that way everybody knows. Yeah. yeah. I if, appreciate if, you, that. if you're behind a, an M1A1. Let me write that down. It smells like vomit. Okay. When, whenever you're behind an M1A1 tank, if it's going, like it's, it's, it's exhaust plume smells like just puke. Oh. Yeah, it's really weird. Um, so then the other one was uh, LAAD, Low Altitude Air Defense Gunner. And what that is are these specially modified Humvees called Avengers. And they have uh, surface-to-air missiles that go, That you know, they have an operator that will shoot surface-to-air missiles at incoming aircraft. Okay, so that's like like the normal-looking hum- Humvee that has the big like, missile thing. set yeah. on, on top of it. Yeah. Fuck yes. That, and that was the other one that I thought was super cool. But as it turned out, whenever I got to the fleet and I met some other lad gunners, they're like, this is the worst job field ever. Really? You know why? Because in order for us to actually have to implement lad gunners, you'd have to lose air superiority. Good luck losing air superiority with the number one air force in yep. the world. Yep. So they actually just like sit around and play cards and get themselves in a position is what I heard. Yeah. The other two were 0811 field artillery, which those are the 155 millimeter howitzers that they pull by, uh, behind a, a huge seven ton truck. Okay. Like those, not mortars, right? Like those big ass cannons for shooting miles right. away. Right. And then the last one, the one that I really didn't want was uh, 1833 amphibious assault vehicle crew. And so, I, I, okay, I, I'm, I'm assuming amphibious. Well, deals, there's the, there's the 1833 water. right there. <laughs> so let me tell you exactly how I got shoved into this mess. <laughs> the, the one that you didn't want. Yes. Bingo. There you are. That's the one I got. <laughs> so I go to boot camp, right? And I'm 18 years old. I have two weeks of my senior year summer and I go to boot camp. Like, that's it. Straight sh- from one to the yeah, next. Yeah. I wet behind the ears, like, as you can get. Like, I'm did, on the did plane. Did you want it to happen that quick? Or yes. That, okay. I was pumped. You just needed to go. And I wanted to be a Marine. Yep. 
I wanted to be a Marine. Like so I could awesome. I could have I could have picked any other job or could have mm-hmm. picked any other uh, uh, branch with my ASVAB score. Um, the the Army was offering me a ton of money up front, like sign on bonus. Mm-hmm. But I wanted to be part of the fraternity of, yeah. being, of being a Marine. Yep. And uh, so I go to Marine Corps boot camp, and uh, you know when you're in when you're in boot camp, and the funny thing about Marine Corps boot camp is that like the other boot camps, like you hear from people after they go and they come back, they're like, "Oh, it's not what you think it's like." You know, it's not what it's like. Marine Corps boot camp is exactly I've like never every heard story. Marine say that ever. Like Marine Corps boot camp is exactly like every story you've ever heard about Marine Corps boot camp. Like every story you've ever heard is true. Yep. I, I that, that every Marine I've ever come in contact with, been friends with, said the exact same thing. Yes. My best friend from high school joined the Marines. We were gonna go and and do it together, and he knew I would chicken out, and so yeah. he did it, and he said the exact same thing. And uh, yeah, and when you're in boot camp, you're you're just like you're trying to do the best you can do in every phase. Mm-hmm. of the training well we get to swim week which is nine days in this gigantic aquatic center that the marine corps has built at marine corps recruit depot san diego which mm-hmm. is where, where i was at and i'm just trying to do the best i can and then based on your how, how you qualify they give you a swim rating well had you been a swimmer before uh i was good in the water um my frame was light um, like I but said, I mean, as a kid, like, you yeah, I, I was just, I would just say I was proficient, you know, yeah. uh, I, um, I was okay with like, as a kid going out into the ocean and swimming in like rip currents. Like if I got out, I could get back to the, uh, yeah. to the shore. So I was a good swimmer. I wouldn't say I was like a world-class swimmer right. or anything like that, but, but I you was knew a, your way. Right yeah. Right. I was really good in the water and, um, and swim week is also about six weeks into boot camp. So you've also significantly got better, like strength and cardio at this point too because they've been running you every every damn morning and stuff and i also just wasn't afraid of the water now there was a lot of people who were just like yeah don't want to get in that big ass pool because some of the training is like they put you up on like the the 10 meter uh uh, high dive which is like you know like 30 feet up in full rucksack uh combat boots the whole nine yards those people man and they just push you in and then you like you go in and whenever you hit the water like this like fucking like force recon staff sergeant marine who's there to like for as a, as a training instructor like comes out to the middle of the water and just wraps you up and takes you underwater and they show you like how to uh like use pressure points and things to break the grip because you're you're simulating like getting into the water with your full gear and then having to rescue someone who's right. panicking right i would be that guy yeah i would be the i would be the perfect uh model for the panic for the panicker person. yeah yeah, that, so, that's the that's the role I would play. So like people are going underwater and like they forget the training on like how to break grips, how to like uh like take the person up and like back to the surface. And then after that, like you have to grab that person, get them into a certain like position and then tread water you for X amount control, of time. Right? And then you also have to like get them to the side, which is like this is a gigantic pool. Like I don't know how to describe how giant this like pool is. Like we're not talking like the 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 motel pool. Negative. Okay. No, this is this giant thing. And then, uh, so 
I, I did really good at that. I did really good at the treading water thing. Um, there was also uh, an exercise um, called like surface surface water fire, where like oil can get on the surface of water and it can burn. And you actually have to come up and create a space for yourself by splashing, yeah. like coming up from the water, like an area to come up and breathe and then go back down. So you go through that? You go through all of this like types of training. So you're underwater while the water's on fire. Oh, no, no, no. It's not oh, actually okay. on fire, but okay. they, they simulate it by by having you surface, but then come right back down, gotcha. but also executing the proper gotcha. technique yep. to splash the burning oil away. So I just did really good at swim week. And that was the thing that sent me to amphibious schools. Is and because, at that point, you don't have a choice anymore, right? Well, I didn't even know that I was trying out for it. <laughs> the thing is, is like they're just like they're screening everybody by aptitude, and you get you know I did really well, so we um, so I finished boot camp, um, and then after boot camp, every Marine, what makes Marines different about the other th- uh, three or Coast Guard too. Uh, the the other um, military branches is that all Marines after boot camp uh, go to what's called MCT, which is Marine Combat Training. Gotcha. And in, in inside Marine Combat Training, you learn how to set claymore mines. You learn how to uh, throw hand grenades. You learn how to shoot the M two forty golf uh, machine gun. Uh, you learn how to shoot fifty caliber machine guns. Um, you learn how to shoot AT4 anti-tank rockets. Uh, you learn land navigation. You learn everything that basically infantry mm-hmm. will learn. And that's because after MCT, you will then go to your actual designated MOS, your military occupational specialty, to learn what it is that you get selected but for. you've got to learn the combat basics. You, because- you do. Because at any given point, yeah, anybody in the military can be thrown in that position. In the Marines. In the Marines. Yeah. yeah. In, in the Marines, right. they want to be able to take a person who's technically a paralegal, mm-hmm. which is an actual job yep. field, or a water purification S- specialist. Still be able to be a badass. And be like, I fight. need you to go set a Claymore mine, rendezvous at this point. Yep. Okay, so... Um, that's why, and, and I mean, I think that's part of the reason why Marines have the reputation yes, they have. Because 100%. doesn't matter what your specialty field is. Right. You have combat to train. be a legit badass. Yeah, yeah you got to be combat trained. Um, I, I can say, you you won't say it, but you have to be a legit badass. Yeah. That's the term yeah. I'm going to use. Yeah, you know, but, 100%. But it's, it's the truth. So I, I finished Marine combat training, and then that at the end of Marine combat training, you sit around with your whole platoon and you have your instructors then finally tell everybody which job field they're going to go to. So we're all sitting around and everybody's, you know, like everybody's like getting the job fields they wanted. You know, they're going down the list. I'm snow. So they're like Smith, infantry, uh, you know, Sturgis, uh, you know, you're going to be a radar tech. And everybody's like, fuck yeah, fuck yeah, fuck yeah. Everybody's getting what they want. Yeah. Like, yeah, And I'm sitting there and I'm like, I'm like, oh, I'm about to be a tanker right now. <laughs> I'm about to be a tanker right now, dude. This is going to be so awesome. Go. And then like, he's like, snow. He's like 1833 amphibious assault vehicle crew. And I was like, and then he, I think he said something. He was like, you're going to be wet and cold the next four years. Hoorah. And I was like, fuck. <laughs> and I also wanted to go to tank school because it was close. I think it's in Oklahoma. And uh, y'all got to, what's, what's a big base? At, um, uh, Fort Sill? Yeah. 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 Lawton. Lawton, yeah, Oklahoma. Yeah. Fort Sill. And they have, I think they do tanks and um, artillery there. I would have literally taken any of the other three. Um, and he's like, yeah, you're you're uh so that, he's like that's really cool though because you're going to just 
like I was in California, Marine combat trainees at Camp Pendleton in California. Right. And he's like, you're just going like, you're going to get on a, on a, on a van and go like 30 minutes down the road to another part Staying of close. Camp, Camp Pendleton. I was like, okay, so I'm just going to, you know, not going home. Like this is, this is it. Mm-hmm. And, uh, yeah, I was, uh, in what's called an awaiting platoon for three weeks. Um, uh, waiting for a new cycle to pick up of the next school for amphibious assault crew through all of that. Are you still in the mindset? Like, this is what I want to do. Like being a Marine. Yeah. 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 I mean, I, that, that was something that, um, because there's some people that go like through basic training and they question and then they get out and they're like, man, I just want to go home. Like, I mean, like, I had those moments yeah, for sure. I missed, of I, I missed home and I, I knew, I knew that I picked a combat job field and we had just got into, uh, Afghanistan mm-hmm. and had not even got into Iraq yet. This is 2002 still. Yeah. Cause the first push through Iraq was 2003 which I missed because I was still in my schooling. Okay. Uh, and, um, cause you so, do, you do what year and a half, two years. Oh, of, pretty much. Yeah. Like, boot, like boot camp was three months and I came right. home on leave for a month, went to, uh, MCT, a Marine combat right. training for another, uh, month. And then I went to, uh, amphibious assault, uh, vehicle crewman school, um, at the, in the absolute, like most gorgeous portion of camp Pendleton right on the beach. Like I could walk out of my, mm. my dorm room and like put my feet in the sand Yeah, and, um, right down the road from Coronado where like all the Navy SEALs train. Yeah. And, um, I finished amphibious assault school and then I got attached to my first fleet platoon, um, which was a, what's called a Mew sock platoon which is marine expeditionary unit special operations capable okay i didn't i didn't actually go to like special forces selection so i want to make that distinction right but i was attached to the 13th marine expeditionary unit which is a special operations capable unit and it basically is do you know what an amtrak is or an aav it's a large 26 ton amphibious craft that gets launched out the back of a, a a large battleship. Like in a large battleship can carry about 15 of these. And inside the back of each Amtrak is about 21 either, depends on the mission, but for a lot of missions, it's about 21 infantry guys, or it could be 20, or maybe a small team of uh, Marine Force Recon or Recon Marines. So we conduct a lot of this. Basically a, like a water vehicle? Yes, it has tracks. Okay. That allow it to roll anywhere on land, but whenever okay. you launch it into the water, it has this switch on the panel that disengages the tracks and okay. switches the motor, like kind of like through a transmission. Above water or like a submarine? About 70% of an Amtrak is below the surface with just okay. the top of it, the fir- like, like two or three feet on the surface. Okay. Well, most of it is submerged, but the same engine that drives the tracks... Mm-hmm has a little button that then like switches over the drivetrain into these propellers in the back. So the same engine drives either right. the tracks yeah, yeah, yeah. Or, or the, so, but it just switches from, so one yeah, I got, I got, I was on, I was on, uh, I was on the Mew platoon with all these like force recon Marines and all these special operations guys. And, uh, that basically allows, um, the commander of that boat access um, to certain things that are deemed special operations like, a trap team, tactical recovery of aircraft and personnel. Like if if a if a 
a pilot goes down behind enemy lines, like they would send us out as a quick reaction force to like grab that pilot and also destroy like any any yeah. of our uh, any of our equipment out there that the enemy would love to get their hands on and then reverse engineer. Mm-hmm. Um, or it could be like rescuing a a, a civilian like non combatant like hostage. Or it could be reconnaissance. Um, Basically anything. Yeah. You have to be prepared. And, and it's beach landings. It's, it's, it's you know, three o'clock in the morning, cold and wet, and you're in this giant 26-ton tank, essentially, that's amphibious with all these combat troops loaded in the back. And you just roll out the back of a giant battleship into the black ocean, three o'clock in the morning, and then you trudge through the calm portion of the ocean until you get to the surf zone at which time you are your heading is towards the beach and as the waves pick up the rear end of the amtrak you have to lay off the gas because like if you if you're throttling you're keep you would keep, your pitch changes as your ass in rides up and you would send yourself un- underwater so you have to like let off the gas and the whole time you're navigating through like these like ballistic vision blocks like these like six inch thick, like glass vision blocks. They eventually adopted um, thermal vision, which we got in Iraq, which was really cool, except for the time delay. Cause like you'd be like, oh, there's a, a pothole. Whoa, boom. Oh. oh, wait, never mind. That would have been nice, like to know like 20, <laughs> like five seconds ago. So, uh, so yeah, I, uh, it's amazing with all the technology yeah. in the world. Like, I mean, like little things like that that aren't fully, um, perfected i right. guess you would think it would be instantaneous but. yeah they were still they were still developing it so um i i got done with uh amtrak school those are called amtraks uh aavs yeah. uh for short and i um i ended up going to uh iraq but what the funny thing was about going to iraq about a year later is that i had done so much amphibious training but there's obviously like not. Any, I was gonna say there's no water there. There's like no water to operate out of in Iraq, so we just didn't use our amphibious capabilities with those vehicles, and we just used them as armored personnel carriers uh, going in and out of combat. And then um, you can also use those as like a, a heavily armored ambulance. You know, like if you have somebody that has a, a severe injury in a place where a helicopter like can't set down, right. you can go in and put them in there and then at least get them back to base and uh and get them worked on that's so crazy i know it is it's really wild and uh so yeah i was in uh i was in fallujah in 2004 i don't know if you remember hearing about the fallujah battle like it was on the news it was like one of our major battles and uh, i was part of that invading force that went through and swept through the the city of fallujah and um that was wild Dang, that's crazy. How long did that last? The the actual initial invasion of uh, Fallujah took us about, God, I want to say just about eight weeks. And that was the most surreal moment of my life because it was the culmination of everything that I felt like I had trained for my entire life. Okay, and that I was getting ready to ask you because was there ever a, a moment where like you were scared? Or was it always just like this is this is what this is why they put me through all these paces. This is why I've trained. Yeah, at this at this point, like we're talking about like everything that happened with mom and dad, right? And and being tough through that, 
and then you know all the training that I had had as a Marine, and then is really weird because like whenever we attack Fallujah, they sent the Air Force over and they dropped pamphlets out of the sky, like just all these pamphlets in Arabic, and it said if you're not part of the Mujahideen which is the freedom fighters in Arabic, what they called themselves, right. which they were a splinter off of Al-Qaeda. Right. We took Saddam Hussein out of power, which left a massive power vacuum in Iraq, and then v- v- different tribes, and you know, there's Al-Qaeda and Taliban, they're all vying for power. Yep. Fallujah was a city that wasn't really that big of a deal. The army passed through there, and they had secured it. And I'm mm-hmm. for people listening, I'm air quoting right now, secured right. it. But it had they had repopulated and made that a stronghold. And they dropped these pamphlets over, and they said that if you're not part of the resistance, you need to leave. You got 48 hours, and the United States forces are rolling through. And it just got so Mad Max at that point, because I was out there like – reconning the situation as this mass exodus of civilians left the city and they were loading probably panic everywhere oh my god you're talking and it was the it was the women the children and what we would call non-military age males yep so your males over 55 older guys yeah and you're just loading up thousands of people onto any type of vehicle they can and just trucking them out of there and like the most like apocalyptic looking thing ever and you're already in the middle east where everything's like it's dusty and it's Mm -hmm. you know like it's a third world country it's just like being it's just like being in this weird surreal movie and uh you know they're leaving without provisions people didn't have enough water they didn't have enough food you know people were bringing up their their children to us uh, for medical attention who hadn't you know had uh you know the, these kids were dehydrated they were starving and things yeah. like that and uh so we, part of what sucks about war is what the damage it inflicts on the civilian populaces of people who would just rather just like there's never going to be a war. There's never been a war that didn't sacrifice innocence. Right. Period. And, 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 and that sucks. Yeah. And our, and our hearts were absolutely breaking and we were doing the best we can humanitarily to hand out food, hand out water, hand out medical attention, knowing that, you know, all these like women and children and everything were going to be having to leave the city. But what, what really sucks about it is like the good people that, that breaks their hearts. Yeah. And I don't think people realize or fully understand there's bad people in the world that don't care. Yeah. They don't care about their own people. No, and that and that and that was and that was what really emboldened everybody from my from from my unit was the fact that we knew what was going on in that city and that the Mujahideen was had taken over. They were enforcing strict draconian laws, mm-hmm. Sharia law. Um, you know, if you got caught with listening to ACDC, like beheading in the town square, right, right. you know, things like Some that. Some of their laws are just so uh, asinine. And, and uh, you know, chill, females are not allowed to attend school after a certain age. You know, like, like one of the ways that, one of the ways that, the, that ISIS would test to see if like, like females had, had too much schooling is they would ask them like a math equation. And if they were able to solve it, they'd be like, where's your parents? Really? Yeah. And then they were going to get punished. Oh yeah. Oh, Oh, beheaded. 
beheaded. Again, like I just, we're so naive in this country to what happens in other places. So two days later, like everybody finally gets out of town and then the town just goes silent. I mean, silent, like spooky fucking silent. And then we get, I'm back at the base on Camp Fallujah, which was an old Saddam Hussein, um, Republican guard base that we had appropriated and taken over. I want to go back a minute though. Sorry, yeah. sorry to interrupt, no, but but the the pamphlets dropping out. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Good idea, bad idea, because Good they're going to fall. The innocent people are going to get out of yeah. there, but some are the bad guys. No, the bad guys. The or are bad, they just so stubborn and hard headed that they're like? No, no. The this. bad guys wanted. The bad guys are the brothers, the the uncles, the fathers of all of these people who evacuated. Yeah, they wanted to get their families out of there. Okay. Like, like even the bad guys, they were like, there's going to be a fight. Yeah. Yeah. They have that. But they had been, they had been fortifying the entire city of Fallujah for the last like eight months. Gotcha. And it was a fucking meat grinder in there. There was IEDs hanging from the telephone poles at 10. They, they, they realized that like you could do X amount of damage like with a with an IED, which is an improvised explosive right. device, right? You take like an old artillery shell and you can rig it up to explode. Now, if you put that thing on the ground, you're going to have a blast area that looks kind of like uh, a dome. Yeah. But what if you were to take that thing and elevate it 15 feet up? Now you get a blast area that is much larger. So so th- they were setting up for destruction. Oh, yeah. And they had, yeah. Dug, they had dug underground tunnels from one mm-hmm. house to another. So you would take fire from one house, and then it would come from the other. You would level this house, yes. and it would come from another. Um, so the pamphlet thing happened. Civilians got out. I was on base, Camp Fallujah, with my platoon, and I, we were waiting on the call. We had our bags packed every single night. They, they, they wanted to have some. Obviously, the, guy, the Mujahideen knew we were coming um, because the pamphlets, obviously. Uh, but they didn't know exactly when. So they waited for a time. And at this point in time, our old Secretary of Defense, General Mattis, mm-hmm. yep. was our commanding officer. He was my commanding officer while I was over there. Right. Uh, over every all of the operations. You know, he was like the, the guy. And... Um, and then, like, you know, we're sitting around, we're, we're doing what Marines do whenever we don't have shit to do. We got a <laughs> dip in our mouth and we're looking at a Playboy and, yeah. you know, we're just fucking off. And uh, we get the call and my platoon sergeant comes in and he just looks at the four guys in my room. And they had these uh, trailer rooms at Camp Fallujah. It was these like trailers that had f- three doors to three rooms and each room had four guys in it. And my platoon sergeant comes in and, uh, and at the time, he was a staff sergeant, uh, Staff Sergeant Attilio. He he just looks at our guys and he goes, right now. like, And then we just knew. And everybody knew. And uh, I shaved my head. I like bald because I, I didn't know when we were going to be back. He said, pack your gear for like indefinitely, like for yeah. however long. Like we don't know how long we're going to be out there. And then um, the coolest thing to this day of my life happened like right then. Well, I got to see the absolute like force and unity that the United States military has. We had this gigantic staging area where seven and a half thousand United States Marines, Humvees, tanks, helicopters, Amtraks, um, and mortarmen were staging their gear like a movie 
checking their rifles, cleaning their guns, loading everything up, Marines checking each other, wrapping wrapping like uh, electrical tape around anything that may make too much noise. Like you got to think like dog tags, like when you walk with dog tags on, they clink. Like you wrap those with electrical tape or anything else. And like you, you check your buddy, you'd be like, Hey, fucking walk around, move around. Like, yeah. let me, let me see if I can hear anything on yeah. you. And you would silence everything that you could. And we had these vehicles that are called psyops vehicles. They're Humvees converted with these gigantic speakers on the back. And they use those to go into cities to make announcements across broad swaths of people, you know, like to tell them, whatever you need to tell and tell like a bunch of people. Right. I shit you not, man. They had every psyops vehicle in our uh, division blaring fucking Pantera drowning pool. Let the bodies hit the floor. And there's just Marines painting their faces and securing their gear and getting Getting fucking ready to rumble. I just went, I, I, and you can see me, like I had tears in my eyes thinking about thousands of thousands of Marines getting ready, men and women, thousands of Marines getting ready, checking their gear for that moment. And like, like the hair on the back of my neck, it still does chills. Yeah. I got tears in my eyes. And then you say, we're fucking going. Yeah, it was, it it was the most intense thing that I've experienced to this day to see just the, like. 9-11 9-11 at this point, let's see, that was 2004 that we went. So we're just like three years removed from 9-11, and you got so many bloodthirsty fucking Marines out there. Right. Because, and 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 that's not, that's not a cruel thought. Yeah. That is still in the mindset of you took down our innocent civilians yeah. for no reason. Yeah. yeah on 9-11. Yeah. And I'm not going to get into politics in 9-11 because right. Jesus Christ, right. like, you know, did, can, can can jet fuel like melt steel right. beans? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, yep. you know, there, I, there's I, all I, those I, things I don't know. There. I don't know. And but what I do know is whenever I got to Iraq, I saw what the Mujahideen was doing to the mm-hmm. civilian populace. So you want to talk about how we got there? Fine. That's a different conversation. You were there for a reason. But whenever we were there, I saw the atrocities that they were inflicting on their own people. And I was more than happy to be somebody who would lay down my life and go out there and make shit happen. And just like that, we got the call and we rolled out. And Fallujah is a city that has a freeway system that goes like circular, like around it. And it butts up against the Euphrates River. And I'm an, and, and I'm a driver at this point. So I'm actually like operating this Amtrak and an Amtrak crew has three guys, a guy in a turret that has a 50 caliber heavy machine gun and a Mark 19 heavy grenade launcher. Okay. And the Mark 19 heavy grenade launcher gives me a freedom boner every time I fucking talk about it. (laughs) All right. This thing, think about a machine gun that shoots grenades. Yeah. I, I was just sitting here thinking like, that's like, yeah, that's the ultimate guy weapon. Yeah, this this thing shoots grenades. It, it's got this pace, like it goes like this, it goes like that fast. Really? And then like you got ten grenades going down range that land and hit. And so we drive out on the freeway system, and I'm driving down the road, and I and and we get into the city. On my right, there's nothing. On my left is the city. And I'm and I'm still facing forward down the freeway. Like my my platoon commander is on the radio, and he goes, "All right, stop." And I have all sixteen of my Amtraks, and I'm like in the middle of this column of sixteen Amtraks. Mm-hmm. 
and uh, and I'm looking out my left vision block, and the infantry has already gone down like this embankment and started to make its way into the first line of buildings and houses and things. Yeah. And they immediately encounter resistance because I'm looking down there and I can just see all the dust yeah. popping off the walls as rounds impact the wall. So I can see, even though I'm about a hundred yards away, I can see that they're encountering resistance. Plus they're also like really being disciplined about being stacked behind defilade and cover and like shooting around corners and then being back and defilade right. again because they wouldn't do that if they weren't encountering like direct fire. Right. So infantry and you're just sitting there. You have to, I'm just, just sit sitting watch. there. I'm sitting there and I'm not nervous and I'm not scared. Um, my, my adrenaline is definitely like coursing through my veins, yeah. but, um, I, I'm totally ready. Like I'm inside of like this armored vehicle. Right. And, uh, now, now Amtraks are not as, um, they're not as robust as as M1A1 tanks. Like I should have got if I would just would have swam a little shittier in boot camp. <laughs> which I, you know what I mean. <laughs> just at least you're not bitter about being too good at that. <laughs> yeah. So, um, so the infantry just goes in and they clear probably about the first like few city blocks, and then uh, my platoon commander comes over and he's like, "All right, turn to the left." So I like do a pivot with my Amtrak because it's a tracked vehicle, so mm-hmm. it can like pivot on a dime without moving forward or backwards. Yeah. So I just pivot, you know, like I pivot, 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 pivot. And now I have like a full view of exactly this portion of the neighborhood that we're going to push into. And I go down that first embankment, uh, cause the freeway is like up on this high embankment. It's like, must be like 20 or 30 feet worth of elevation that we have to go down until we hit flat surface. And then we start rolling into Fallujah, into the streets and, um, it was, it was absolute chaos. Um, but I was just driving and I had my platoon sergeant was in the, was in the turret and, uh, you know, he's got 15 years in the Marine Corps at this point. I'm only a couple years in and, uh, we just went, so you've got somebody telling you your path that you're supposed to. You know, yeah. Yeah, okay. absolutely. And, and day by day by day by day, we just pushed through secured, you know, ground, Push through secured ground, push through secured ground yeah. until we met the other Marine force on the other side of the city until we just like Got came together. together. And then that was, that was the invasion of Fallujah. And then after that, it was just all, um, basically security operations. So we had pretty much rooted all of them out and, um, you know, neutralized the enemy at that point. And the figures that I heard where there were about 45,000 insurgents in the city to our seven and a half thousand Marines. Jeez. But the thing is, is with weapon power and training, if you extrapolate that to one Marine, how many enemy combatants does that equal? It's like one to 10. Yeah. So we were closer to having more like a theoretical, like 70,000 combatants. Because our military is so good. Absolutely. The, the, and not just, you know, not just the weapons, not just the, you know, um, what's the word I'm looking for? Not just the artillery. And, what's camaraderie? And, and things like that. But, but the mindset. I don't think, I don't, okay, maybe I'm just a proud American. I don't think any other military force on the planet is wired the way our military is. Yeah. I mean, and, and 
man, I hope that never changes. Yeah. But literally every uh, man and woman I've ever met that like has done the things that you've done, that's seen the places so strong. Yeah. So strong. Well, we have to remember that everybody who's in America right now, we're born of very sturdy genes. Mm-hmm. Everybody that's here, we're, we're the descendants it's of our people. Age. I don't know about the next generation. Yeah. <laughs> it's starting yeah. to get weak. Yeah, I know. I know. We, yeah. That's another <laughs> conversation. But like, you know, everybody that's here right now, we are the descendants of a sturdy people who pushed across this entire United States uh, yeah. whenever we got here that crossed, you know, the Rocky Mountains and covered wagons. Uh, we, we are, you know, it's natural. We're the... We come we're, from hard lives. We, we come from... Well, we're the we're natural selection. We are what worked and was able to survive, yeah. you know? And we're rebels from, from the get-go, you know? We... Whenever, whenever you know England wanted us to pay tax revenue, we're like, "Now go fuck yourself." And yeah. we've been there's been a pride associated with with our people, yeah, from the very beginning, absolutely. And 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 man, that's that's why we stand and salute the flag. It is like there's a pride that comes with being born in this country, yeah, because not just because we were born in this country, right. but because of the things you're talking about, because of the people that, yeah. that, that, that we're descendants from. And I mean, like years and years and years and years before we ever thought we would be a, a existing, yeah. you know, there is a, I don't know, man, I just, I just can't see how anybody else can, can be as prideful and as powerful yeah. as we are. Yep. And so, uh, the, um, that that invasion was uh, that initial invasion was over, and then after that, uh, we basically did patrols um, to to make sure that there wasn't flare ups. And you we had, had to stay there, and we had skirmishes here and there. Um, and then I we still there was a ten. I was on a ten month rotation, and there was only like four months in, so I still had like six months left on my rotation in, in Iraq. When you say rotation, so like from. In Iraq, so so like so no like whenever you go on a deployment, like you're there for a slated amount of time, and then they refresh. uh, Like there was another Amtrak or or like AAV unit that was coming in to relieve my unit so we could go home so that way so, you're not so would there you come back to the state and definitely no 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 no. Or that was the funny thing so like so the invasion was technically over but we still had six months there gotcha so i actually got um what's called uh tad temporary assigned duty i got pulled okay. out of my platoon and then pushed over into the terrorist prison facility and i was a jailer at the terrorist prison facility what? for the remaining six months that I was there. So as bad guys would come in that had intel, yeah, you know, like, you know, they may have just caught a guy who was a bomb maker. Mm-hmm. And infantry or special forces would bring them in, and I would be the guy that would, like, receive that guy, yeah. like, uh, take all of his information, his belongings, like, get him to his cell, um, prepare him for interrogations, uh, in t- you know, taking him to and from chow, taking him to and from uh, medical, this, that, and the other. So I did that for the the rest of the time I was there until I came back. And then um, I, I got back um, in October of uh, 2004. So I was there from February 2004 to October of 2004. And then I got back and I didn't have too much left on my um on my enlistment. And uh so finished out my enlistment in Garrison. And Garrison just means like 
like you're not deployed. You're at gotcha. your, yeah. I was at Camp Pendleton. I was in yeah. California. And, um, so I got out of the Marines whenever I was 22. And whenever I got home, I was sitting on a nice nest egg of money from whenever I was there, but I didn't know what the fuck I wanted to do. Right. So you're 22. Yeah. I took a bartending job, you know, I was bartending, I was staying fit, but, uh, I was like, you know, you go from that life and then you're just like bartending and I had a nice amount of money. Like my girlfriend was a playboy model. Like I was doing pretty good for a, you were like the modern day John Wayne. I was doing, like pretty, you were living life. Yeah. I was doing pretty good, but I still wasn't satisfied, uh, coming from that. And I was getting physically like stronger and faster and I was getting smarter and I just wanted to like gear that towards something. And I would, I remembered watching Hoist Gracie, like in those first UFCs that you would get at Blockbuster down at the yep. like specialty section, like kind of hidden in the corner because yeah. they were still kind of taboo. I yeah, guess. for yeah. sure. Yeah. yeah. And I was like, I'm going to take a Brazilian Jiu Jitsu class and see what the hell is going on with that at 22. I went to this, uh, it's a super funny story. I went to this tiny little school and it was a karate school. It's like kids running in and out of there with yeah. soccer moms. And uh, it said Brazilian Jiu Jitsu on the, on the window, like, you know, in stickers. Right. And there was like this 60 year old man that was like a karate and Taekwondo instructor who had taught, like it was mainly a Taekwondo and karate school. Yeah. But this dude had a purple belt in Brazilian Jiu Jitsu, which is like six years of training and is often like known as one of the first like legit instructor ranks. Okay. And uh, I'm 22, combat veteran. Like, yeah. you know, I'm thinking like, hey, shit, this dude's going to be able to do to me. Yeah. And he, uh, you're still in that military mindset. Yeah. But we get out there and uh, he's got like five people in the jujitsu class and hundreds of people in all the other classes. Uh-huh. And uh, I get out there and I, he gets me a gi and tie on my white belt and all goofy, like don't know how to tie on my belt or anything. And <laughs> I mean to tell you, dude, this 65 year old man takes me to the ground and he chokes me, breaks me, twists me, turns me so many fucking ways that I had never been experienced to. And in Marine Even after all the combat, training. well, th- we do in Marines, it's Marine Corps martial arts program, which yeah. has a lot of elements of judo, jujitsu, boxing, and kickboxing. It's almost like a, like an MMA yeah. kind of, um, they kind of source the most lethal moves out of each one since it's going to be a combat, um, fighting okay. style. Yeah. And, and, uh, he just like with ease and smiles on his face and chuckles in the back of his throat is just fucking taking my lunch money. <laughs> and I cannot figure it out for shit. Like I can just how pissed off. Are you level of zero to 10? How mad oh, are you all the way, all the way? Um, you know, just out of, just out of pride. And, yeah. uh, I, you know, I don't know what I thought I was going to be able to do to him. Because jujitsu, there's no striking. Honestly, you know? probably whatever you wanted to. Yeah. I mean, like you would think. Yeah, yeah. And then, so he takes me to the ground. He just like absolutely tears me a new ass every time we get into an exchange. And uh, so I took jujitsu there for a while. And um, I eventually moved over to a much more competitive school. And I started at Travis Luter's jiu-jitsu in Fort Worth, Texas. Now, Travis Luter is one of the first American-born Brazilian jiu-jitsu black belts. He won the fourth season of uh, Spike TV's The Ultimate, Ultimate Fighter. Fighter yep. He fought Anderson Silva, Rich Franklin. Yep. He's legit, yep. 100% legit. I start there as a, a white belt with a little bit of experience. Um, 
year and a half goes by. I'm just training for fun to stay in shape. I'm really enjoying it, not thinking about doing anything with it. And then I, uh, I do my first, I get my blue belt after about a year and a half. I do my first tournament and just absolutely get my ass kicked by a person who had been competing. I broke my thumb. I had all my friends come out at eight o'clock in the morning. My match didn't start till 4 PM. So they're like already pissed off because I've had them there all day. Yeah. And uh, that loss, like everything else in my life that had happened up until this point, was just like, all right, we can go back to the drawing board and figure yeah. some shit out. Yeah. And uh, I, uh, I kept training, kept competing, and uh, did a lot better. I eventually um, became an instructor at Travis Luter's Academy. Really? Uh, I ran the beginner and the intermediate class for uh, about a year. Um, when you started, was it Travis doing the hands-on training, or did he have some other trainers there? No, uh, Travis had uh, Travis had a couple other brown belts underneath him, okay. and uh, they kind of took the natural progression of most brown and black belts, and they went and started their own school, which is now Genesis Jiu-Jitsu in Fort Worth, and where I still go and train to this day. Gotcha. Um, and uh, I kind of took over their spot as they left as the beginner and the intermediate mm-hmm. program uh, instructor. I uh, had a, a little altercation with Travis – on several occasions, just a couple of couple of fighters that are yep. strong-willed guys, and um, alpha I have, males. I have no ill will towards Travis at all. Now, I, right. I really thank Travis for uh, you know showing me the, the the beginnings of what became a really great career for right. me. And uh, but you know, one day we had a falling out, and I left. And I went over to Genesis. That's life, dude. Yeah. That happened. Yeah, you know, it happened. It I, sucks, I, but it's part of life. I switched teams. Yep. I went over to Genesis. I got my purple belt. I went pro. Uh, I got. Uh, I lined myself up the sponsors like we were talking about. Um, I had a girlfriend uh, who became my wife for a year before I got divorced, and we had a baby. And she also was a fighter uh, who became a cage fighter. And uh, we were having a great time, you know, uh, touring around the country, um, fighting, winning, making money. Both of you. Yeah. Both of us, uh, had a little girl and, um, eventually I think just, you know, the pressure mounted to do better monetarily, uh, with the, with the little girl. And, um, I think she probably wanted me to look outside of jujitsu. Yeah. But I had just gone pro and I was so committed you're still in that competitive yeah, mindset. I was kind of like, it probably came down to the marriage or jujitsu, and I picked jujitsu honestly. Really? And um, and you're you're how old at this time? Uh, twenty, like eight, like in, like, and I'm fucking like in my prime, dude. Yeah. Like you know, yeah. like my muscle mass is up. Like I've been an instructor. Like I'm doing really good. I, I'm competing in only professional events now, mm-hmm. and. Uh, you still feel like you've got time to climb. Like, yeah. like you're oh, still so building your, I hadn't even got your, my black yeah. belt or my brown belt at this point. Uh, and so, uh, got divorced and, um, ended up meeting the girl that I'm still with today. Uh, Ariel, who's easily the, like the most gorgeous girl I've ever seen in my entire life. She gets along amazing with my daughter. Um, and has been there through all of my biggest fights, all of my biggest training, um, she's an orthodontic technician, so she she literally gives people smiles for a living. Oh, that's cool. Um, and so, yeah, uh, here I am now at uh, 
at 37 and I had an amazing professional Brazilian jiu-jitsu career, which I told you kind of, um, I did it the best that I could for a long time, but I'm not getting any younger. Right. And I transitioned into personal training just cause I've, uh, you know, whenever you acquire that much knowledge about physical fitness and health through the Marines and through jujitsu. And I also had like all the like big, like, you know, trainer certifications too. And I met the guy, uh, who got me the job at TX whiskey. So now, but, 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 but not to overlook that part, but yeah. like, I can also, like, I know you care about people yeah, and you genuinely want to help other people. Oh, I did. I, I enjoyed, I really did enjoy personal training yeah. too. That was, uh, I mean, I had, I had a, I had a client that was so overweight that she wasn't able to conceive and her and her husband really wanted to. And I got her down to a, a weight where she couldn't, they had a baby. And like, that was like, that was like better than like anything I ever did cool in the Marines that? or like anything I ever did with jujitsu, you know, cause that wasn't about me right. anymore. And, uh, that's, that's what's you changed. Been, you changed somebody else's life. Yeah. It was really better. awesome. And, um, so now I, uh, I work at the distillery. I make whiskey. I sit back on, I sit back on my laurels and I, uh, I have an eight year old daughter. I have uh, an amazing woman in my life. And, uh, I'm kind of at a point now where I don't feel like I have to go, hundred miles an hour. I almost like got the fight out of me. Yeah. I'm not too old where I couldn't compete. Yeah. And I get the itch every day. I actually have to like, did, did you, did you, did you ride bulls before you no. do what you did? No. Okay. You know, and it's funny because I always tell everybody my bull riding career lasted almost like half a second. When I, when I lost all my weight, I got in really good shape. Um, I had started announcing and I, I was starting to kind of gain some momentum announcing, picking up some decent rodeos and a couple of rather good bull ridings and things like that. And the guys would always kind of pick at me. Well, you talk about all the things, but you don't, you've never done it and whatever. And competitive nature sets in and I'm like, bullshit. I can, I can show you that I can at least, you know, start to show some skill, some skill. Yeah. I was wrong. Uh, the absolute dumbest thing I've ever done. This is, this is my line that I always tell everybody getting on a bull was the stupidest thing I've ever done in my life. And I went to four different colleges over a six year period and got an associate's degree in agriculture that shows I've done some stupid stuff in my life. Like I kept enrolling in college knowing that it wasn't going to go my way. So, yeah, man, I got on a bull that could not jump over a notebook. He was that so unathletic. In bull riding, does that mean you just have like an unathletic bull? Yeah, yeah. It, literally, he could have been a statue, and, and I still couldn't have rode him. Okay. Um, I landed on the back of my head. I didn't know where I was at for like 45 minutes. Oh, I mean, shit. it was just like it was the worst experience ever when it yeah. comes to, to anything athletic in my life. Not not my cup of tea. So so again, therein lies why like I have so much respect for for bull riders and yeah. for rodeo athletes and things like that. You know, the 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 same way that uh, like like you do for fighters. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, um, but different because you actually know what it's like. Yeah, I get the I get the itch. You know, I, I I'm like 
physically, I didn't sustain any career altering injuries to mm-hmm. my body. Thank God. Like, you know, like I didn't, I, my knees are fine. My elbows yeah. and shoulders are fine. But it seems like knees and, and shoulders are always the things. Was that, it always just jujitsu? Yeah. Like you, like you never thought about the MMA thing? Yeah, I did. When, whenever I first started uh, at Travis Luter's, I did train MMA because I wanted, I, I wanted to, uh, to do MMA because it was popular, I think. Right. Um, well, with uh, the boxing background, right, the, and the karate background, everything, and, and yeah, and being in the Marines, I, I did, and I did. I trained MMA for like the first two years, but um, I remember Travis telling me he was like, you know, if you want to get your blue belt, you need to put your gi on and come to gi like gi jujitsu mm-hmm. class. You know, the gi is yeah. like the, oh, yeah. the martial arts Absolutely. uniform, yeah. And um, I was like, ah, okay, fine. I, for you know, people that don't understand, it's it's essentially what the Karate Kid wore—the white, yeah, kind of jacket and right. pants with the belt. With the yeah. belt, and, but like, I don't know if you ever felt the difference yeah. between a jujitsu gi. So, so and I've that. tried to roll a little bit. Yeah. Um, my career path, we've been fortunate enough to go like, um, back in the day, spent a little bit of time at Extreme Couture. Like, I, okay. I like I'm friends with with those guys there and. Um, we've you friends with Michael Chandler, right? Yeah, 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 yeah. Who he's making waves, man. But just just got beat the other night. And oh the, well, yeah, but, he'd be fine. But he's what I love about that guy, and and, and you kind of remind me of this too. Like he he gets defeated. Charles Oliveira wins wins the 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 fight. In the post fight press conference, he says, "I will wear that UFC belt in the next twelve months." Oh yeah, so incredibly strong minded, extreme yeah. ownership. Yeah, I got beat. Yeah, won't happen again because I'm going to go fix it. You're, you're gonna you're gonna get beat because you're gonna fight the other best guys in the world. But 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 it's not just in fighting. It's like, yeah. I mean, you you know as good as anybody, life yeah. is going to kick your oh, ass. Yeah, and how you react to it determines sure. who you are as a person. Absolutely, hundred um, percent. So yeah, I get the itch, and I don't, I don't really scratch it that much. But I I, I get a lot of uh, satisfaction f- um, from going and commentating at these events, um, and it's cool because like I have to keep up with like the top like 100, 200 fi- like Brazilian Jiu Jitsu fighters in the world, and I'm I'm really I'm really happy that like the organization Missy and Seth over at Fight to Win like trust me enough to put me on the mic and allow me to talk to the pay-per-view. Well, you obviously know what you're what you're doing. You and know what you're talking about. It's a lot of fun. And it's a lot of fun too. Uh, you know, I go out to the fights, hang out with my buddies and have a fucking drink, you know. It's like yeah. it's a good time. So, um I think if I were to wrap all that up in a nutshell, what's always kept me going is always like the message that people should walk away with like with my particular story is I would never stop harping on the importance of exercise. And it doesn't mean that you have to become this like CrossFit athlete. You don't have to like become a gym nerd. Like you can get your ass up and walk around the block for 30 minutes while listening to some music. You would not even believe what that can do for your mindset. Like I said earlier, it's not going to fix your problems, but it's going to allow you a a state of mind that's going to actually allow you the mind space to be able to like put together a decent plan, like be able to manage your next step. Whenever you're so crushed with, with the scenario of whatever it is or divorce or deaths or this or that, all the things that are inevitable in life. Like if you can get up and you can move your body, you're going to get that, like that angst out of your, out of your muscles and that tension out of your muscles. And let me ask you this also, like after a hard workout, can you not tell that your body 
doesn't want to just eat like shit food. Yep. Like you're like, I, I need like steak, broccoli, like even not after a workout. Like, like if I've given myself a little leeway, uh, my body tells me, okay, that's enough. I'm starting to feel bad yeah. and I don't like it anymore. Yeah. And so, and, and I've been there when I was, you know, 19, 20, 21 years old. That's all my body got yeah. was junk just absolute crap just sodas and yeah yeah you know chips. you're drinking soda you eating pizza yeah you know for every meal you're eating candy whenever you wanted it yeah i literally gained a hundred pounds i didn't get a freshman 15 when i graduated high school you know we're we're right there under we're 195 one bounce in between one low 190s to mid 190s um by the time i'm 22 21 22 um 298 oh yeah and so like i put on the freshman hundred yeah freshman sophomore hundred my body did not get any real food and so like there was a huge setback when i changed that all of a sudden now fast forward however you know i'm 30 i'm your age 37 38 i'm 38 um, I'd love to be 37 again. I'm there. I'll be, I'll be 38 in a couple months. Yeah. It's yeah, I crossed 35 track. and it, it yeah, nobody mattering. cares anymore. It quit mattering. Yeah. But, um, like, so that was the other piece of the puzzle is like good nutrition, like putting down, uh, putting down processed foods and things like that. And, but that goes hand in hand with like getting some exercise because every time I've ever exercised, I've never immediately thought like, Oh, I just want like ruffles with dip yeah. and stuff like your yeah. body's like dude you need like protein like like a steak and like some veggies and like i still eat dessert and stuff i'm not an absolute maniac but uh same ice cream is my weakness yeah it, it's physical it, it, like you don't have to become a crossfit athlete to reap the benefits of exercise like you need to get out there if you're listening to this and you're feeling down, you're feeling like a piece of shit, you're not. Like go move your body. Like you're gonna feel better. And 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 I always keep it simple because a lot of people hear the word exercise or workout. They think you've got to join a gym. They think you've got to, you know, get under a bar and start doing bench presses. No. If if you're where I was at, like if you're overweight, if you're if your body's not been moving, get up and walk around the yeah. house. Yeah. It's that easy. Get up and go outside, walk around the yard, you know, just move. Yeah, because, I, I mean, whenever I was 12 and 13, and I was dealing with all this stuff with my dad being gone in prison. And, you know, I could have just and, – and I did. I did sit around and commiserate over it. Yeah. But I would go to soccer practice, and I would get engaged with other people, mm -hmm. and I would play soccer, and I would come home. And I felt better. Yeah. I mean, I, the, the situation hadn't gone away, yeah. but I felt better and I slept. You know, you wear, that's another thing. People get down and out over shit and they can't sleep. And then it's like now on top of like bad nutrition, low serotonin, dopamine from not working out, you're also not recovering through sleep. And it's this trifecta. And like, you can't kick all three legs of a chair out and not expect it to fall over. Like, so if you can just start off with like minor physical activity the sleep and the better food will will usually follow because you're not going to crave pizza yep. and when you're tired of shit you're going to fucking sleep yep when you're when you're hot and sweaty putting something disgusting in your body's the last thing. I, I got something for you uh oh now i'm scared so uh, as a marine like i'm big into gear okay right you yep. know watches knives guns shit like that mainly knives i have so many fucking knives really um so i brought you a knife that I want you to have. Shut up. Yeah, I brought you a knife. And uh, so you're going to find that this isn't like a brand new, bright, shiny knife. This is one of my favorite knives that I've spent 
years with that's taken me uh to to gun ranges to Don't help me, me help me uh do everything that I needed to do to get TX whiskey where it's at right now and it's not the prettiest knife but I it's so razor sharp and it's tough as shit and also what's really cool is it's from Ontario Knife Company and Ontario Knife Company is a is a company that has been contracted with the United States military since Vietnam, and they literally make the bayonets that uh, fix to the front of all really? of the service rifles. So this is an Ontario Rat Model Number One, and it's my personal knife. And I want you to have it, man. I want, no let way. me get my story out. Check that Dude, thing out right don't. there. That you're is like bad. That. Now open it up, and you're going to see the fucking work that's that thing has done. That's incredible. Now, like. Uh, I don't want you to... It has scars. Yes. Like we've talked about. Yeah. But functional, purpose-driven, and will take you and will serve you so well. Just promise me that you don't put it in your pocket whenever you put on a suit. Take that thing out wherever you work and put that thing to work because that's what it knows. I, I, I was going to say, like, I, I as bad as I want to put this in a frame and set it in my office... Work with it. I feel like that would piss you off. Yes. Look at that thing. Does that thing want to sit anywhere? That's like beautiful. You can tell like the work that's, that, that that thing has been through. Where's this been? Everywhere. Really? Everywhere I've gone in the last several years. Okay. Here's here's the thing. I don't know. Do you know the, the bad luck about a knife? No. You can't give a knife away. You can't? Nope. I, I, you cannot accept a knife as a gift. What I'm going to do is I'm going to give you a dollar for this knife. Oh, okay. Is you, that, you is that ha- a thing? I, yeah, it's kind of an old cowboy logic. Okay. Like, you cannot accept a knife as a gift. You have yeah. to buy a knife. You want to see the knife I'm carrying? This is the, the Cold now Steel Recon 1 Tonto Point. Now, this one Dude, is that not- thing's like, that's not a knife. That, that, I feel like Crocodile Dundee, like, that's not a knife. That thing is, this not, is a knife. That thing is not for getting into bags and boxes right there, my Yeah, friend. you're not going to sneak anywhere with this you're not that getting on a plane is with for this. the uh defense of the freedom and the nation and all terrorist domestic and foreign that's insane dude that's cool you got to shut it because that's but that rat too. model one right there is an absolute tank i could not beat it hard enough as long as you're not using it to pry things you know like pry things out of things that's like cool. it will serve you well it how old were you when so you got well. this I mean, I've had it for about five years now, yeah, and uh, cool. I've just taken it fucking everywhere. It takes an edge if you if you have a knife sharpener, yeah. it'll take an edge. It's made out of OS eight steel, which means that it's uh, it's very hard, but it also has a very very high level of uh, rust protection, and it also has that DLC black coating on it, so that yeah. way that's further rust protection. But if you open that thing up, give it a little flick out. Yep. Wrap your hand into this and into it. That is the most comfortable knife in it. Is. Put your and thumb on the, on that thumb ramp. And now, one more cool thing about that is that you see this edge. Turn it the other way. Yep. Choke up your finger onto that edge for fine work. Really, That's also there for a reason. This is uh, like if you wanted like, to do like real fine yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah, work. Yeah, this is. Yeah. I've never found, and I've got kind of weird shaped hands. Like I've got small hands. That is the most comfortable. That's the knife. most comfortable thing. Yeah. The yeah, Ontario that's awesome. Ontario knives, legendary in the military community. That's so cool, man. So I want you. you to have that for letting me get the story out. Thank you, not not f- just for this, but thank you for for doing this. Thank yeah. you for taking the time to come. That's a good one, man. This was so much fun. Yeah, like Do it again. And, and it's 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 funny because I I don't I don't know what the title of this thing's gonna be. I got to go back and set and figure it out. Yeah, but, but it's like. What was it that our text was the other day? A Brazilian 
uh, jujitsu black belt. Yeah. Um, whiskey maker, marine vet, f- father who was maker. a uh, bookie. Yeah, like, it's dude. it's been a wild a ride, life. and I'm only 37, and uh, things have definitely calmed down now. But I don't know where it's going to go next. It, and and it might sound crazy, but you've got to realize how blessed have you been? Oh man. Incredibly. I'm a genuinely super happy guy. And one of the really cool things that I get to do now as a jujitsu instructor, a lot of the guys that were in my platoon in Iraq have now become police officers in different states across the United States. So I have a trip coming up to uh, Seattle um, where a a guy that was in my platoon in Iraq is now a... um, a, uh, it's actually in Spokane yeah. outside. He's a uh, he's a police officer up there. So I'm gonna go up there and I do these these seminars for free. Like with any police department, I will go to your police department if you're out there, and you're a police department. If you want to, I have 15 years of Brazilian Jiu Jitsu experience. I'm uh, working on my second degree black belt. Um, I have tons of combatives experience i will work with your police unit for free we need to get you all you have to do is put me in a hotel maybe take me out and show me your best barbecue in town (laughs) that's all i want and i will do a two-day four hours per day seminar with every police officer on your police force. that's so cool that's so cool So i'm going up to seattle and i'm going to work with their police force um Right before COVID hit, I had a had a trip with my friend uh, Brandon Quick, who's another jujitsu instructor that owns the American Grappling Federation, and we were going to go to Germany and do a a tour with some UFC fighters and work with some uh, troops over there. But COVID hit, and you know, yeah, that screwed everything over. So um, I got to get you up to our neck of the woods, okay, um, to do that, yeah, and to hang out at the gym, yeah. And just come see the place, and honestly, just to come hang out because, yeah. like, I love this. We we wanted yeah. to do this. We as soon as we left yep. the ranch, we were like, okay, we got to get back together. And well, life's yeah. crazy, but sure is. I wanna I wanna make sure we just get together more often. All right, sir, dude, I appreciate this right, so man. much, man. Cool. Um, anything else? Wait, before we go, social okay. media. Social media. Um, How you do know, people like, find I, you? The the thing with Did social you have media. The greatest profile picture. Ever? <laughs> oh my god. Um, the, uh, the thing with social media is, um, I, I used it as a tool for self-promotion for all my jujitsu mm-hmm. for so long that I'm almost like burnt out on like self-promotion now because yeah. I don't really have that much to benefit from it. But, um, I do like connecting with like-minded people who may want to, um, maybe contract me for Brazilian jujitsu yeah. stuff. Or if you're just a veteran out there that's having a hard time getting going, uh, you know, definitely, uh, just, just holler at me. I'm Dustin James snow on, uh, Facebook and I'm Dustin J snow, all one word on Instagram. Okay. So you can just like holler at me if you want to talk about the good old days, if you want to, uh, contract me for jujitsu, or like I said, if you're a veteran who's having a hard time and you want to talk about how to get, how to get the juices flowing again, like let's make that shit happen. They talk about a brotherhood. Yeah. Like it genuinely, I love, I love the military community. Yeah. Like it doesn't matter if it's three in the morning or what. Like yeah, that, that's what it's about. Yeah, uh, uh, we we barely scratched the surface. Boot campaign. Yeah, TX whiskey with the yeah. new bottles. Yep. Um, man, there's so much to talk about. We we're yeah, gonna we just have, have to do another one. We're gonna have to do this. Yeah, again, we're gonna dude. have to do another one because gonna, it's just too much. Thank you. Uh, All right, Matt, for everything, brother. Yeah, cool. Appreciate it.